0: I'm Kelly Drake, and you're listening to Hop in My U-Haul. In this podcast, I'll be taking you all around New York City and beyond to some really unique lesbian and queer spaces. You'll meet artists, entrepreneurs, and leaders who are all doing really inspiring work in their communities. Oh, and you might be wondering why we're in a U-Haul. Well, yesterday at the farmer's market, I met this really cute girl, and we're going on a date next week at this vegan restaurant in Bushwick. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I have a really, really good feeling about it. Anyway, let's hit the road. Hop on in! Recently, I spoke to Tess and Kai from the iconic Depop vintage shop, Port Vert Vintage. They told me all about what it's like to be dykes in the fashion industry, and next week you'll hear all about the business that they run. Before that, though, I think it's important to talk about how fashion has impacted queer people historically, and how it continues to do so today. Luckily, Tess and Kai are brilliant individuals, and they have so much knowledge to share about this topic. So, today, that's what I want to do. Really get into queer fashion, and specifically dyke and lesbian fashion. Get ready! School is now in session.
1: I'm Kai, I'm the Creative Director and Photographer at Port Verit, I'm a stud and a sissy, I always like to say, Um, I'm Tess's girlfriend. So I'm Tess, I'm a
2: Femme Dyke, and I'm the Business and Social Media Director of Port
0: Verret Vintage, and I'm also Kai's girlfriend. We're going to start our discussion today with the concept of queer coding. I think a lot
2: of queer people are familiar with um, queer coding in the film context, um, but I don't know how many of us think about it also in a fashion context, mm-hmm. even though we all know as gay people that clothing is more important to us than straight people. (laughs) And it's a signal to other people of who you are. I guess a good transition actually, Kelly would be for us to ask you if you know of any like clothing pieces or shoes or accessories Mm -hmm. that you associate specifically with lesbians as lesbian style markers.
0: One of the, gayest things I've ever bought was the first pair of Chelsea boots I ever owned. I went to the mall by myself and I was looking around and I saw them and I instantly just thought that'll make people know I'm gay. (laughs) Um, So I bought them. And for the record, it turns out I was right. Footwear
2: specifically has been traditionally like especially obvious for lesbians and there was a quote that was like, you know, it used to be easy because you would just look for Doc Martens and then everyone started wearing Doc Martens and so you didn't know who a dyke was anymore. So like, um, I think that's interesting that you brought up Chelsea boots cause I think that footwear is definitely, um, it's huge. It's, it's, huge. it's huge.
1: Yeah. No, I think definitely like when I, I got to college and only started wearing Doc Martens, you know what I mean? Like that's when that shift started and then I got my nose pierced like right then.
2: It I would be remiss to say that that probably comes out of boot blocking culture True. and like for uh, S&M
1: dykes and gay people. 100%. And that's something that's definitely rooted in historical mid-century butch-femme <laughs> dynamics. So
0: we Take can <laughs> go right there. Just in case you're not super familiar with this butch-femme dynamic that Kai's about to tell us about, just think Rachel Maddow and Susan McCoola. And I just want to start off, I mean,
1: by saying that I think fashion as a whole is an underserved lens for looking at history because it is such a historically gendered thing. And as we know, anything that's associated with people who are associated with femininity is not interesting and not valuable. But it really is one of the most accessible forms of social communication between people. And ways, the way, since the beginning of time, basically the way we have dressed has been formatted to signify things to other people. And that's only more true when you're a person in the LGBTQ community. And so the thing that's interesting about butch femme dynamics is that they arose historically and specifically in the mid 20th century because that's also the first time that lesbians were allowed to have a public community in the United States, not that lesbians haven't existed since the beginning of time, but in terms of being a public and legible group that were living publicly and legibly as a rigid group, um, they developed butch femme aesthetics as a way to make that visible. And there's a quote by um, Lillian Faderman that says, the possibility of life as a lesbian had to be socially constructed in order for women to be able to choose such a life. And I think, that that is a really good crowned-in-quote to understand where butch-femme comes from because it's, in order for it to be public, there had to be ways of seeing it, and it only makes sense that that came out in aesthetics.
0: If you subscribe to Judith Butler's school of thought that all gender is performative, these butch-femme dynamics can kind of be seen as a real-world application or extension of that. Kai was able to speak to me a lot on the theory of butch identities, and she read me some quotes from a book called My Butch Career by Esther Newton.
1: So the first quote is postmodern butch is about a gender expression that combines some version of the masculinity that you saw around you as a child with same gender desire, And the second one that is a little lower down on the page, but I feel like bookends this one really well is gender presentation is a projection of your personal and cultural imagination. And I think every butch's style can come down to those two things where it's about not necessarily a conscious thought of, I want to look like a man, but more of a what could I look like if no one ever told me how a woman looked I think that's a very important distinction because I mean, for some butches and God bless them, it's definitely (laughs) is about like really overtly embodying masculinity in a manly way. But for it's also at a, on a base level less about aiming for masculinity, but just denying the expectation of femininity that is put on a woman's body. And so it's kind of, it's the scarier one and it's the one that's harder to hide because it's more of a social aberration to kind of deny something that is expected to be so innate that a woman is feminine makes it scary even down to today. Mm -hmm. And so I also wanted to mention that before I talk about anything specific, that the dynamics of what a butch looks like are also very racialized. And so, because, and that's why I think the second quote is important about the projection of your personal and cultural imagination is that butches of different races and ethnic backgrounds have different personal and cultural imaginations. And I think that's also what's very harmful about the kind of one idea of butch that exists Mm -hmm. because not every butch is going to come from the same background to project that and they deserve as much access to the identity as anyone else so they're like a black stud looks very different to a white butch but they all are but they both are butches and they both are distinct things with their very distinct style markers and you know them when you see them you know young ma is as butch as you know like i don't know esther newton <laughs> i don't know who's butch! literally i was trying to think of a soccer player's name but then i realized i don't know sports oh yeah
0: for the record they were talking about megan Rapino. On the other end of this butch femme spectrum, Tess was able to comment about the complexities of the femme identity.
2: I'm gonna go on my femme rant really quick, <laughs> but like, I, it makes me so upset when people like use femme, like to talk about like XN or like to, you know, um, signal like non-binary people, like in some way, like, because I, as we've been talking about for this entire podcast, like- it's a lesbian-specific identity, and um, I have like much less of a problem with it being used like in a in a broader queer context. Like queer femmes exist, trans femmes exist, absolutely, one hundred percent. It's when I see like straight women like calling themselves femme, and it just like it. I feel like it's been completely ungrounded, um, and like I remember like. My roommate, like, my old roommate, I was, like, upset about it, and she was, like, you know, words change, but I was, like, but I, they, should they? <laughs> like, no, they, like, words continue to, like, hold meaning <laughs> that is based in history, and so it, it, like, it really just, like, makes me so sad when I see a Forever 21 femme t-shirt, but... <laughs> I'm learning to cope with it because we do live in a changing world, certainly. And I just like, we were also noticing the number of um, femme for femme, hashtag femme for femme versus hashtag femme for butch hashtags. It's like quite abysmal. <laughs> it's just, it's just interesting to live in, um to live right now. <laughs>
0: There are a lot of ways, particularly in the mainstream, that lesbians are pushed to look a certain way or be a certain way, and presentation is a big part of that.
2: I read this great article by Kelly Hankin from a book called Girls in the Backroom, and it's called Looking at the Lesbian Bar in the 20th Century, and I really liked her argument because I see it conveyed on Instagram and in internet queer spaces. So um, her argument is that lesbian bar representation has been at the center of the longstanding ideological project of heterosexing space. And I identify certain trans historical conventions that guarantee not only the heterosexual surveillance and consumption of lesbian space, but also heterosexuality's symbolic ownership of lesbian space first of all, whoa. <laughs> um, I, I just like, I I thought that it was a super interesting take. And I also I like, I really felt it, like, I feel it in online space with queer capitalism, like tainting LGBTQ artistry, and identity, and especially in the erasure of lesbian specificity and an increasingly queer world. Gay men are regarded like part of being a gay man in the popular imagination, right, as being stylish and caring about how you dress in a way that like it is not for lesbians.
0: And we were just thinking (laughs) about
2: like it's very much the opposite. (laughs) Something else that I want to talk about is just about how dyke style is often reduced to just like looking ugly. There are these distinctions that just deny lesbians' style specificity, the ability to enjoy and express like fashion, you know, and glamour. That's something that Kai and I are both really passionate about is being glamorous. (laughs) And like (laughs) um, that we are glamour
0: dykes above everything
2: else, you know. 100%.
0: In the spirit of talking about online spaces, Tess and Kai told me about where they find lesbian representations online and what they think about those representations.
2: Lesbian meme makers like continue to... Um, redefine and simultaneously solidify dyke-style indicators, you know, of the 21st century. Carabiners, hiking sandals, Carhartt beanies, white tank tops, leather, and Doc Martens, men's clothing, quote-unquote, in general, like big jewelry and haircuts. Like, it's like, you know, they, like, boil it down in a really interesting way, and they're like, bingos, and, you know, like, check this, like, how many lesbian clothing items do you wear (laughs) on a daily basis? Flannels. But I think that a lot of the underlying sentiment of labeling those items specifically as lesbian, not that there is anything wrong with any of them. I love my Keens, you know, (laughs) I wear hiking sandals as I've already, I feel like I've said that three times now, but like, I just want to, I just want to emphasize that, like, it's not that I oppose that these are necessarily labeled as lesbian, but I think that it's also very one-dimensional. A lot of the content that I see is a, a very conscious instance saying, like, I don't look like that and I am not that kind of dyke, you know? We as a culture do decided that we don't like ugly lesbians, quote unquote.
1: Even as far as we get into like queer acceptance and gender fluidity, nobody wants to be the ugly dyke. Nobody wants to be the hairy, angry dyke, you know? Even though I love being all of those things, so
0: it's okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, we couldn't fit everything that we talked about into this 15-minute episode, but lucky for you, Tess and Kai have put together a comprehensive reading list that you can find over at U-Haul on Instagram. Make sure you check back next week because Tess and Kai will be back to talk about the business that they run together, Port Vert Vintage. In the meantime, if you'd like to know more about Tess and Kai and Port Vert, you can go to at PortVertVintage on Instagram. That will be it for in my U-Haul tonight. As always, thank you so much to WNYU Radio and Shane Patterson for helping make this podcast happen. The music you heard in this episode was by the band Recreational Mouthwash. Always remember to stop for stop signs, buckle your seat belts, stay safe, and I will see you next time.